Venal houseplant and President Joe Biden continues to churn out executive orders in record numbers, proving once again the truth of the old expression, this is not a nation of men, but of men churning out executive orders in record numbers. In order to help you keep the orders straight so you can determine which ones should cause you to laugh hysterically while slapping the table with your open palm, and which ones will suddenly interrupt your hysterical laughter by repeatedly stomping on your face with the jackboot of tyranny, we at The Daily Wire have compiled this helpful list. Executive Order number 6,477 deals with preventing prejudice against transgender persons and other guys who happen to like wearing dresses. This EO forbids federal employees to laugh at, point at, or comment on the looks of Assistant Secretary of Health Rachel, as it were, Levine until after he has left the room and the door actually closes so they're sure he's out of earshot. The order also forbids federal employees to misgender people by calling them miss while they're pretending to be a different gender or pretending to be one of any number of made-up genders or pretending to be an oak tree or a bicycle. Federal employees who are transgender are to be given the satisfaction of knowing that everyone around them is forbidden to say out loud what they really think of them and are permitted to lie awake at night staring at the ceiling because they know that no one's being honest with them by federal order. Executive Order 6 squillion and 1112 provides $400,000 a year award for the son of any president who breaks the record for executive orders. Said president will then become known as the king of executive orders and will wear a cardboard crown from an unnamed fast food restaurant while cabinet members circle around his desk, waving their arms in the air and singing, you are the king of all the presidents. The cash prize will be used by the president's son to establish a business relationship with the Chinese government, with all proceeds from said business to be spent on cocaine and prostitutes, except for 10 percent, which will be held over for, quote, the big guy whose identity will be established later and then suppressed by social media. Executive Order 7 tenths of a quarter decillion seeks to eliminate systemic racism by keeping schools closed until all teacher union members get tired of hanging out on the beach in Maui. This will ensure that minority children have teachers who are tanned, rested, and ready so that children will be better educated when they never return to school. For more information on these and other Joe Biden executive orders, call the White House hotline, listen to Muzak for 17 minutes, then hang up and sob quietly into your copy of the Constitution. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hooray, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Oh, hooray, hooray. We are back again laughing our way through the fall of the Republic and the following apocalypse, since I think the fall of the Republic is pretty much done and we've got to keep the laughs going. Um, new, uh, speaking of being tanned, rested and ready, I'm now fully vaccinated. Uh, so we have made a major step in saving the Claven. It was a really, uh, actually pretty good experience and almost impossible to get an appointment. But when one popped up after you got the appointment, it was all very easy. Uh, thing didn't hurt very much. And um, now, you know, no, no side effects except for a black helicopter flying over my head because of the tracers they injected into my bloodstream. You might want to sign on to my YouTube channel to get extra content, uh, to get these um, these monologues and openings completely uncut and fresh stuff. If you 
press that bell, the alert. Uh, I will come and deliver content to your home uh, in a limousine uh, surrounded by girls, dancing girls and drinking champagne. Uh, and if you leave a comment and the comment is sufficiently obnoxious, we will read it on the air because it'll fit right in with the rest of the commentary. Today's comment is from Cassie Deet, I believe it's, uh, it is. Uh, she says, my chances of getting a comment featured went from five days per week to one. The Clavenless weekend went from three days to six. We were laughing our way through the apocalypse too fast. That's true. We want to enjoy every every single minute of it. So it's very hard, I know, to watch the media make a fuss over the January 6th invasion of the Capitol after they excused, minimized, and even applauded months of similar violence from Black Lives Matter and Antifa. It's very tough to watch Democrat Congress members go after new Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene for her loony theories when the Democrats are all loony theories, like men can become women, or racism can cure racism, or America was founded to protect slavery. Likewise, it's hard to watch Donald Trump tried for inciting violence in a Senate run by Chuck Schumer, who led a mob to the Supreme Court and threatened conservative justices if they made bold to limit a woman's power to kill her unborn children. When conservatives mention these things, they are often accused of whataboutism. Whataboutism is a form of ad hominem attack, an attack on a person meant to discredit his ideas. This particular ad hominem attack is sometimes also called the tuquoque fa fallacy. Tuquoque means you too. It refers to an attack that calls out a person's hypocrisy instead of addressing his point. This became known as whataboutism during the Cold War when socialist tyrants in the Soviet Union would respond to charges that they violated human rights by saying something like, well, what about Americans holding slaves in the pre-Civil War South? So you get the idea. Now, there's something to be said for avoiding the two-quoque fallacy. The ugly nutbaggery of Democrat lowlifes like Ilhan Omar or Kamala Harris does not excuse the likewise ugly nutbaggery of Congresswoman Green. The BLM and Antifa riots don't lessen the disgusting violence in the Capitol January 6th, and the fact that Democrats excuse and call for violence on a regular basis while Trump explicitly did not call for violence does not mean that Trump acted well after the election. He didn't. But... It's intolerable for the media and other Democrats, or indeed for never-Trumpers and other fake Republicans, to focus on the misdeeds of one side without acknowledging that we are experiencing an almost complete collapse of the morality and credibility of our elite classes across the board. Our news media lies. They not only lie, but they promote censorship to keep the, their lies from being contradicted. Our experts are wrong more often than they're right. Our Congress does nothing but strike poses. Billionaire corporations make bold to gut our First Amendment, and squirrely satraps in Davos plot the takeover of the world economy in order to deal with what they call our shared concerns, quote-unquote, without ever thinking to ask whether we the people share their concerns or not. I am deeply opposed to political violence, but it's hard not to occasionally imagine improving the personality of our dipstick elites with a judicious application of tar and feathers. Our divisions, meanwhile, the people's divisions, only serve to empower the incompetent jackasses in charge. Sensible people on the right and left should be able to unite around the fact that none of our leaders is leading us toward anything that the majority would recognize as good. Whataboutism is a fallacy, and the logic of they did it, so now we can do it, can only end in tears. But conservatives can't be asked to punish in their leaders what leftists encourage in theirs. The people need to unite against an elite gone altogether wrong. 
So I got a notice from LifeLock this week that somebody had been looking at my credit report, uh, which was shocking. It turned out to be my wife. I knew I couldn't trust that woman, but it was very reassuring to get the, that notice and know that if anybody tries to mess with my information, they'll, LifeLock will let me know. Scammers are using news of the second stimulus to steal Americans' personal information. Some common scams include offers to get your payment faster, fake checks or unsolicited messages by someone claiming to be from the IRS. Links within these emails or text messages could be dangerous malware or phishing scams. So these guys are really making plans. It's important to understand how cybercrime and identity theft are affecting our lives. LifeLock detects a wide range of identity threats, like your social security number for sale on the dark web. If they detect your information has potentially been compromised, they'll send you an alert. You have access to a dedicated restoration specialist if you become a victim. That's very important because it's very tough to put the toothpaste back in the tube once these clowns mess with you. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but you can keep what's yours with LifeLock Identity Theft Protection. Join now and save up to 25% off your first year. Go to LifeLock.com slash Clavin. That's LifeLock.com slash Clavin for 25% off. They will even explain to you how to spell Clavin. Now they won't, but I will. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. You know, Today in the mailbag, there are a lot of questions about the Daily Wire's attitude toward Trump and my attitude toward Trump. And I'm going to answer uh, those questions, as many as I can. But right now, I want to take a look at the big picture because it's like feeding people a drug to love Trump and hate Biden. But I'm talking about the the failure of our leadership class across the board. And what are the consequences of the failures of the elites? They really have been exposed as, you know, as people who do not know what they're doing and really have new, no new ideas. And the ideas we're hearing out of this administration, they aren't new. They're old. They're equity and uh, Black Lives Matter and anti-racism. It's just racism. It is just racism. And a black woman schooled in the Ivy League who is writing about whiteness at the New York Times and a white guy in a roadhouse pool hall who's screaming about the black people are making the exact same moral error. They're the same people. And, you know, at at the same time they're doing this, they can't even open the schools so minority children, let alone all children, but minority children especially, can get educated. You know, the other day, the CDC director, this may have been just yesterday, uh, I think her name is Rochelle Walensky, she says it's okay to open the schools. It's cut 32. I want to be very clear about schools, which is, yes, um, ASIP has put teachers in the 1B category, the category of essential workers. Um, But I also want to be clear that there is increasing uh, data to suggest that schools can safely reopen and that that safe reopening does not um, uh, suggest that teachers need to be vaccinated in order to reopen safely. So you remember when Fauci would say something and Donald Trump would disagree with him, the New York Times would write, Donald Trump is disagreeing with science as if Fauci had become the avatar of science. Now the head of CTC, who is a doctor and a scientist, she doesn't matter. Jen Psaki, the spokeswoman for the White House, says this, cut 33. The president, uh, let me be crystal clear, wants schools to open. He wants them to stay open. um, And that is and he wants to do that safely. And he wants health and medical experts to be the guides for uh, how we should do exactly that. So we're just not she uh, the the, uh, Dr. Walensky um, spoke to this uh, in her personal capacity. Obviously, she's the head of the CDC, but we're going to wait for the final guidance to come out so we can use that as a guide for schools around the country. She spoke in her personal capacity, not as the avatar of science, so they're allowed to deny her without being science deniers. This is all about 
the teachers' unions. It is all about the teachers' unions. It is the teachers' unions are immensely powerful in the Democrat Party. They make up a, an enormous percentage of the delegates at their, uh, you know, whenever they uh, nominate people. It is just a, a absolute power. And they, these people have been keeping schools closed, basically holding them up for money. And San Francisco, I don't know if you heard about this. This is amazing. They are taking the school boards are taking votes on removing the names of famous Americans like George Washington and Abraham Lincoln from schools, but they're not opening the schools. The city of San Francisco is actually suing the school districts to get them to open the school. And they removed Abraham Lincoln's name. They voted to uh, remove Abraham Lincoln's name from one school because they said he just hadn't proven that he thought black lives mattered. I guess they, taking a bullet to the head is not enough proof. All of this equity stuff they're talking about and talking, I'm just pointing out the failure of the elites when they talk about Black Lives Matter, when they talk about equity, when they talk about all this stuff they're going to do for black people it is all because it is all about this. It is all to distract them from the fact that they are not educating their children. When people like suckers like Nicole Hannah-Jones and Ta-Nehisi Coates you know, write these nonsense, not this nonsense like the 1619 Project or Ta-Nehisi Coates and the white establishment essentially gives them Pulitzer Prizes and National Book Awards and all this stuff. It never occurs to them to ask, why are white elites basically, why is the white supremacist elite structure that we're always complaining about, why is it showering us with awards? It's showering them with awards because as long as you're talking about nonsense, about anti-racism, as long as you're talking about, you know, uh, black equity and repaying people who were never held slaves by taking money away from people who never held slaves, as long as you're talking about all that nonsense, you are not insulting the teachers union by saying, hey, Put these kids in school. And it's not just keeping the schools closed, closed when they're teaching them about transgenderism or when they're teaching them about, uh, you know, gender and homosexuality instead of teaching them about math and science, when they're teaching them about leftism instead of teaching them the horrible white supremacist uh, ideas of logic and reason, which have been called by them, have been called, you know, that, those are white values. You are, when you're not teaching them those things, you are cheating these kids. And that is what teachers unions have been doing. These teachers are poorly trained in LA. You can't get rid of a teacher. A teacher can do almost anything and they just put him in a room somewhere. They take him out of the classroom sometimes, but he still gets paid. This is a betrayal of minorities. They're betraying minorities. And all the verbiage is just a disguise. It is a mask for that. Transgenderism. Transgenderism, saying that a, a man can become a woman, is it's just the old sexism. It is just discounting women again. It is just it's removing, taking their sports away. It's taking their essence away. It's taking who they are away and saying, yeah, well, a man can do that. A man, you know, a man can do that. <laughs> it's erasing women. These are all the old ideas coming back again, just as destructive. Rand Paul had the new... Uh, pick for the education secretary, Miguel Cardona. He had him uh, in the Senate, you know, questioning him for confirmation and asked him if he was going to let men basically compete with women, force schools to let men compete with women in sports cut seven. Does it bother you that like the top 20 percent of boys running in track meets beat all of the girls in the state and that it, you know, would be you know, completely destroy girls' athletics. The girls are being pushed out. Um, they don't make the finals in the state meet. They don't get college scholarships. That it's really detrimental to girls' sports. Do you worry about having boys running girls' track meets? You know, I, I recognize and appreciate the concerns um, and the uh, frustrations that are expressed. I've, as Commissioner of Education, have had conversations with families uh, who have felt the way you just described it and families of 
uh, students who are transgender. So I understand that this is a challenge. I look forward to working with you and others to Do you think it's fair to have boys running in the girls' track, mate? I think it's appropriate for – I think it's, it's the legal responsibility of schools to provide opportunities for students to uh, participate in activities, and this includes students who are transgender. So what do you do when all your ideas are fail, have failed, when you're basically just bringing racism back to hide the fact that you're not schooling children, when you're basically destroying the lives of young girls so that you can support what? Two people? I mean, how many people are actually transgender? So you can support basically this leftist idea that, uh, that your base likes. What, what do you do? First, you find any Republican you can who looks like a loon and put him front and center using your media power so that you now can say, oh, the Republicans are the party of crazy people of QAnon and all that stuff that you then have to censor all the people who point out the truth and make sure that they can't get the word out that you're lying, that everything you say is a lie. And you have to act and con- do nothing in Congress so that people are not held responsible for the things they actually do. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The utter failure, not just of the left, but of the elites. So I was talking before about credit rating. Credit rating obviously is hugely important, has to, you know, helps you get mortgages, helps you get loans. People look at it. The average American, you may not know this, but has 97 points that they could add to their credit score, 97 points and no idea how to get those points. Scoremaster knows how. Scoremaster isn't credit repair, it's credit science, and it helps you get your points fast. In fact, the average Scoremaster user can add 61 points in 20 days or less. And getting your plus points fast can save you a fortune before you apply for a loan or a credit card. Scoremaster is also great for business owners who use their credit score to finance their business. Scoremaster is even great for mortgage brokers who need an edge and love getting their clients better deals. Scoremaster is great for everyone. It even shows you the score consequences of spending too much or of identity theft. No one else does what they do. You can enroll in minutes and see how many points you can add to your credit score and how fast. Visit scoremaster.com slash Clavin. That's scoremaster.com slash Clavin. Who knows? They may even give you points just for knowing how to spell Clavin. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no E's in Clavin. I just make it look this easy. How many members of Congress does it take to fix a problem? I guess we'll never know. <laughs> that's, well, that's exactly right. I mean, Congress is now a joke. And everything that goes on besides besides spending money that is no longer there, spending make-believe money, they're sending out, you know, uh, checks to people. And everything they do is based on money that is no longer there. They've just kind of invented an idea that they're allowed to do that now. Aside from that, everything they do is politics. And everything the left is doing now that they are in charge of Congress is basically meant to foment uh, a civil war between among the Republicans and to cast the Republican in the light of being extremists, of being violent, of being crazy people. They're going to impeach or try uh, Donald Trump in the Senate. They're going to try Donald Trump in the Senate. So what? So they can remove him from office. He's already been removed from office. I don't even know if it's constitutional. They don't even know if it's constitutional to do this. But this is what they're going to do. They're going to say that he incited violence. This is the speech Trump made on January 6th to the ralliers. This is cut three. I know that everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. Today, we will see whether Republicans stand strong for integrity of our elections, but whether or not they stand strong for our country. 
So peacefully and patriotically protest. This is Chuck Schumer last year uh, as he led a mob to the Supreme Court, which was deciding a Louisiana abortion case. And he was afraid it would they would decide it in a way he didn't like. Let's cut four. I want to tell you, Gorsuch. I want to tell you, Kavanaugh. You have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. <laughs> so even John Roberts, it's interesting, John Roberts rebuked him that same day, Schumer for that, saying basically he was trying to intimidate the court. And then John Roberts was easily intimidated, uh, voted to maintain, to, to strike down the Louisiana law that meant to make abortions safer. But he, he struck it down uh, on a decision that he had actually uh, dissented from, but now said, well, now the decision is in place, so I have to obey it. Absolutely nuts. All right. So now the Republicans are, are they're trying to force the Republicans into a civil war. Now, you have to remember that after a loss, after a presidential uh, election loss, there usually is a bit of a civil war in the party that lost. People start pointing fingers. They blame people. They say, you're the reason that we lost the voters. And now in the uh, in the Republican Party, there is this tension between the the people who love Donald Trump, who think that Donald Trump is the answer and is the future of the Republican Party, and people who think, well, no, you know, the party has to be bigger. We will not win elections with just the Donald Trump contingent. And that's why you saw this anger against Liz Cheney, who voted in the House uh, for impeachment. And they basically wanted to remove her from the leadership role, and they didn't do it. And that's a good thing. All right. I think it's a good thing. Liz Cheney was wrong, I think. You know, I, I disagree with her. Uh, she was wrong to vote for impeachment. I think it was a silly thing to do, polit both politically and actually constitutionally. But it was clear she did it out of conscience. You have to be able to let your members and your leaders act out of conscience. So it was, and, and the vote wasn't whipped. You know, they, when they say they whip the vote, that's when they say you have to vote this way uh, for party loyalty. But they didn't whip the vote. They let uh, members vote their conscience, and she did. So you can't then punish her for doing what you let her do. Uh, and and they didn't want, they don't want to have that kind of civil war. The left is just waiting for them to throw Liz Cheney out of leadership. So the left can point at them and say, ah, look, you know, if you don't uh, kowtow to Donald Trump, then you're not a Republican anymore. Now the Republican are completely the party of Trump. And the other thing they did is they went out after this Marjorie Taylor Greene. She is the new. Uh, Congresswoman from Georgia. And she seems to me to be a bit of a loon, okay? I mean, like, you know, there's no, just because they hate her doesn't mean she's lovable, right? She basically, she says, well, I was just questioning whether some of these um, conspiracy theories were right, but she suggested that no plane ever hit the Pentagon on 9 11. Uh, she suggested that school shootings might be false flag operations. She had this Looney Tune thing about forest fires being started by a space laser run by the Rothschilds. The Rothschilds frequently uh, an anti Semitic uh, trope, you know, blaming the Rothschilds for things. Um, and uh, there is a Jewish space laser, but only Shapiro is allowed to use it. So the whole Rothschild thing is ridiculous. Here's what she said about QAnon. She went through this thing about questioning QAnon, saying she hoped it was true, the QAnon theory that Donald Trump was actually kind of a superhero fighting this cabal of satanic child molesters. Cut five. He's anonymous. Q is anonymous. 
but he seems to be completely for the good. He is seems to be totally on Trump's side, and he seems to be very high up and connected. So because of those things, I'm becoming more hopeful, and I'm not being as pessimistic, and I'm trying to stop saying that's never going to happen because I really think it might happen. Um, so I'm very excited about that. Now, there's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to take this global cable of Satan-worshipping pedophiles out. And I think we have the president to do it. And so I'm very excited about that. A global cabal, I think it's pronounced, of Satan-worshipping pedophiles. And, and you know, it would not surprise me one bit. I, I, I don't know this at all, but it would not surprise me one bit if Q were a left-wing plant. I mean, if he were just playing with people's minds, because the stuff he says is so nutty and there's going to be an awakening. And, you know, even Joe Biden is actually Trump in disguise. I mean, it's crazy, crazy stuff. So this is stuff she said before she was elected. So the Republicans gathered with her and she said, I, I renounce all this stuff. I apologize for it. I, you know, stuff I said before, this doesn't represent uh, the people of Georgia. And the Republicans said, well, we're, then we're not going to take you off the committees. That's the kind of usual punishment. It takes you off the committees, gives you less power to uh, make, to shape law. The Democrats then, and this is, I think it's all but unprecedented. I can't remember anyone ever doing this. The Democrats then got together yesterday and voted her off the committees. It is unheard of for the other party to vote uh, your your party's member off committees for something, especially for something she did before she became a member, right? She's not being punished for something she did as a member, which is very different. And she, and she herself renounced all her crazy ways. This is cut 28. I also want to tell you 9-11 absolutely happened. I remember that day crying all day long, watching it on the news. And it's a tragedy for anyone to say it didn't happen. And so that I definitely want to tell you, I do not believe that it's fake. What shall we do as Americans? Shall we stay divided like this? We, will we allow the media that is just as guilty as QAnon of presenting truth and lies to divide us? Well, that's right. The reason QAnon has power, by the way, is because the media is so full of lies. When you suppress Hunter Biden, when you uh, go for two years on the Russia collusion hoax. And then you say, well, why don't you believe us when we tell you QAnon is a lie? The answer is obvious because you lie. The mainstream media lies all the time. But the GOP did pretty well. The, the Democrats are wasting their time instead of making law, just like they wasted their time on the Russian collusion investigation. They are wasting their time going after this minor congresswoman, throwing her off committees as has never been done before. The GOP handled this pretty well. They did not take out Liz Cheney, so they kept the big tent of the Republican Party open. And I know a lot of you think, oh, we don't need those rhinos. Yes, you do, because that's how you win. You win by having more votes instead of less votes. You see, that's the whole trick to politics is you need more votes than the other guy. And that's how you win. If you don't have more votes, then you have something that's called losing. So this is what you have to play a little bit of politics and you have to have a bigger tent. You can't just throw everybody out because they don't like Donald Trump. That's ridiculous. And they refused to they made the Democrats throw this woman green off the committees. And that is going to come back to haunt them when Republicans take control of Congress again, because you can bet there'll be some retaliation just like it uh, hurt them to get rid of the filibuster for judges. It's, it's going to hurt them to do this. It, they made them come out and do it. So you know when they say somebody is clueless, they sometimes say he doesn't know what time it is. 
I'm that person because I left my Ventura watch downstairs today. But if I were looking at it, I would say, hey, it's almost Valentine's Day. And Valentine's Day is a great time to get a perfect gift from VenturaWatches.com slash Clavin. If you're looking to upgrade your look or better yet, upgrade the look of that special someone that deserves a well thought out gift. Now is your chance to get a watch on sale. Finding a watch that's this good looking and built to last can cost way too much money. You deserve better then settling for something underwhelming, head over to VinceroWatches.com slash Clavin. Check out my favorite picks and take advantage of this special discount while you shop. The deal really is too good to pass up, and the watches really do look nice. Get access to their Valentine's Day sale right now. Go to V-I-N-C-E-R-O-Watches.com forward slash Clavin, and the discount will be auto-applied at checkout. Do not pay full price on these beautiful timepieces. Go to my link and check out these beautiful watches. And I know, I know what you're saying. You're saying, spell Vincero. Anybody can spell Vincero. How? Oh, how? Please, tell us how. Do you spell Clavin? It is K-L-A-V-I-N-E-R-O-E. That's what I was going to say. The other thing that Congress is wasting their time on is trying to make January 6th, rewrite January 6th into this kind of massive uh, terror that basically represents all Republicans. A few jerks come into the Capitol and they were jerks and they did jerky things and they were wrong to do it. But this is after months and months of BLM riots that the left wing and the media dismissed as being mostly peaceful. And now it's a horror beyond horrors. And AOC, Alexandria Occasional Cortex, has been, I mean, she is the most self-dramatizing female. I, you know, she she's like one of those women on the reality TV shows, you know, who like just dramatize everything while the guys sit around going, what's going on? You know, she's just this self-dramatizing woman. She comes out and, oh, the horror, the horror she uh, experienced while this riot was taking place is cut 20. And so I hide behind my door like this, like I'm here, and the bathroom door starts going like this, like the bathroom door is behind me, or rather in front of me, and I'm like this, and the door hinges right here, and I just hear, where is she? Where is she? And um, this was the moment where I thought everything was over. So it turns out AOC was in her office, which is not in the Capitol, and there weren't rioters. Uh, Member Nancy Mace, she is um, a a Republican from South Carolina. She says the whole thing was untrue. It's cut 25. This was a traumatic experience, and I'm not going to discount that for anyone that lived through that day. It was a very harrowing experience. But we have to separate fact from fiction. And the facts are there, were, there was no violent mob in the hallways. Uh, the, the, the folks who were there to riot weren't in the Cannon office building. Um, and so we have to be very clear and not exaggerate this experience or take advantage of it and politicize it in any way, shape, or form. And that was, that was my entire point, just to be truthful about it. The story she's telling then, you're basically you're saying is absolutely not true. It's not true. And I, I simply made that statement of fact earlier today, and she literally lost it on her favorite social media pa- platform, Twitter. And so I know I'm doing the right thing, doing the right job when I've got members of the squad coming after me all day long on Twitter. And, you know, as the old adage goes, Sean, uh, judge a woman by the enemies she keeps. And I'm totally fine with that. Hilariously, they started calling her Alexandria Ocasio-Smollett after Jussie Smollett, who lied about the attack in Chicago. And she called for her followers to uh, report anybody who called her Alexandria Ocasio-Smollett. So she's a little sensitive. Here's, Here's my thing about this, though. 
I'm, I'm perfectly willing to grant her her trauma, okay? There was apparently somebody there calling for her assassination. If, if that happened to my wife, and even if she was down the hall, she'd have been terrified. I, I'm, I'm willing to grant her her trauma. My problem is this. My problem is the way she behaved during the BLM riots. Here is a clip of her telling people, boy, if you don't like these riots, you better get on board with the left-wing policy. You better surrender to what they're saying if you don't like the riots. This is uh, cut two. If you're trying to call for the end of unrest, but you don't believe health care is a human right, if you're afraid to say black lives matter, if you don't, if you're too scared to call out police brutality, then you aren't asking for an end of unrest. You are asking for injustice to continue and for your people to continue to endure the violence of poverty, the violence of a lack of housing access, the violence of police brutality, and not say a damn thing. That's what you're asking for. This is, that's, ama- that's amazing to me. I mean, that is empathy at the level of a child. Children don't understand that other people hurt the way they hurt, right? Adults understand that if something is scary to you, you know, it's, it's, we call it the golden rule. It, you know, you may never have heard of this, but they used to call it the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. She sent out a tweet saying the whole point of protesting is to make people uncomfortable. Activists take that discomfort with the status quo and advocate for concrete policy changes. Popular support often starts small and gross. To folks who complain, protest demands make others uncomfortable. That's the point. That's the point. So if all these rioters in the Capitol say to her, hey, you know, we meant to make you uncomfortable. We meant to make you unafraid. No, 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 my friend. Your your fear, your pain, your trauma doesn't count. The fact that a retired cop was killed during the BLM riots, that's nothing. AOC was afraid. Now it matters. Now it matters. And that to me is intolerable. And it tells you everything you need to know, basically, not just about the squad, but about the Democrat Party. So now these people, it's unbelievable. The Democrats hold a a session where they express their trauma. Here's uh, Rashida Tlaib expressing the terrible trauma she went through. Cut 26. So what happened on January 6th, all I could do was thank Allah that I wasn't here. I felt overwhelming relief. (laughs) And I feel bad for Alexandria, so many of my colleagues that were here. But as I saw it, I thought to myself, thank God, I am not there. <laughs> she's, she's weeping because she wasn't there. I mean, I, I guess I could, I could be weeping and thanking a lot, too, because I wasn't there either. But, you know, where were these people when the cities were burning, when Portland and Minneapolis were burning? Where were they? It's intolerable. These people are a joke. This is what they're doing. Instead of making law, just like they went after Trump and and Russia collusion, instead of making law, instead of legislating, instead of reforming things, instead of making life better for Americans, this is what they're doing. And this is what you do when you are out of ideas. That's why this experience right now, the Biden presidency, I don't know if you're finding this. I find it has a dreamlike quality. It's like it isn't even real. It's not even really happening because nothing is being said. Nothing is being done. These EOs can be erased just like Trump's EOs have been erased. It's it's just a strange make-believe kabuki show of America. It is it's not the these the elites have failed us completely and right now it's the Democrats who are in power and their failure is utter. It is complete and it's very very strange moment in American history.
there is a lot going on at my house right now. A lot of workers coming in, a lot of uh, painters and gardeners and all of that. Ring doorbells really help you feel secure because you can look around your house, look at the perimeter of your house. Even if you're not here, even if you're not at home, you can do it. And you can always talk to anybody who comes to the door on your phone, no matter why. It's a perfect time to upgrade your doorstep with a Ring video doorbell. You can see and speak to whoever's at the door from anywhere right on your phone. And what I like about it is you don't have to go outside to take a, a look around and make sure everything is secure. I love having the Ring video doorbell, and I've actually added some Ring security cameras around the house as well. Right now, you can get a special offer on the Ring Welcome Kit at ring.com slash Clavin. It comes with Ring's video doorbell 3 and Chime Pro, the perfect way to upgrade your front door and start your Ring experience. Go to ring.com slash Clavin. That's Ring. Dot com slash Clavin. From now on, anyone comes to your door, you will be able to just look at your phone with your ring doorbell and say, how do you spell Clavin? If they know, call the police at once. That's not something someone should know, but just for you, it's K-L-A-V-A-N. Here's what I have to say about big tech. <gasps> Yeah, that's pretty close. That is pretty close. You know, the other thing, of course, is the censorship. And the censorship is an indication of failure. If your ideas are working, if your ideas are fresh, if you're not just lying all the time, you do not have to censor. You don't have to censor people. You don't have to censor people when you're telling the truth. You have to censor people when they're telling the truth. That's the whole nature. That's the whole nature of tyranny. We played this game on YouTube that we're going to put up. I don't know if uh, we've put it up yet. Uh, where they gave me quotes and I had to guess whether it was the media sucking up to Joe Biden or whether it was a made up quote. Somebody at the Daily Wire made it up. I did pretty well, but it's really it's really worth watching because it is funny and the quotes were funny. But one of these quotes so struck me that I actually looked it up and I wanted to play it for you. And I, just as as an indication of why there's censorship. This is CNN Vice President David Chalian, who we heard on a Project Veritas video helping to censor the evidence against Hunter Biden when, when, it was, when Hunter Biden was being exposed for influence peddling and maybe uh, planning to give a cut of his influence peddling to the big guy, Joe Biden. Uh, David Chalian was basically caught on Project Veritas Veritas phone call uh, saying, no, we're not going to, you know, we're going to bury that if we can. Here is David Chalian reacting to part of the ceremonies of Joe Biden's inauguration, cut one. Those lights that are that are just shooting out from the Lincoln Memorial uh, along the reflecting pool, it, I look, it's like almost extensions of Joe Biden's arms embracing America. It was a moment where the new president came to town and sort of convened the country in this moment of remembrance, uh, outstretching his arms. Now that probably sounded better than the original North Korean. Uh, but when this is the guy, this is the guy, by the way, who determines the news, the approach to the news on CNN. I mean, he's not just some paper pusher. This is the guy who actually has editorial power uh, talking about Joe Biden's arms reaching out, you know, our dear leader, dear leader's arms reaching out to embrace us. When you are going to sell that sort of crap to the people, Anybody who is going to point it out, you have got to silence them. When you are lying, you have got to silence people on the other side. And that, that gives tremendous power, by the way, to people on the other side who are also lying. Because how do we know what to believe? You know, we believe anybody who's telling us the opposite of what this guy is telling us, because this guy is obviously a lying dog-faced pony soldier, right? So we that makes QAnon very powerful, because you can understand how people who maybe, you know, aren't that educated or aren't following the news, they hear that and think, yeah, well, that sounds 
because that's more what I want to hear than what this guy is saying. When people are lying, you basically have to censor the other side for fear that the truth will get out and you uh, and and you'll be exposed. This big tech censorship is the problem of the day because we can win at anything as long as we can make our arguments and they are doing everything. I mean, I heard that Facebook was canceling ads. Uh, We're trying to recall Gavin Newsom here because he's a complete incompetent. Uh, And they said they're canceling ads for that. YouTube has censored Senate, Senate testimony by doctors who had experiences that contradicted some of the guidelines of the CDC. So YouTube took them off the air, a doctor YouTube. Uh, And you can get knocked off Twitter for saying Rachel Levine, the transgender guy uh, in health and human services, that he is a man who thinks he's a woman when he is literally a man who thinks he's a woman. That is literally what he is. But you can get censored for that because when you're lying, the truth has got to be stopped. When you're lying, the truth has got to be stopped. The failure of the leadership class, it's got to be protected. And now, because the press is part of the leadership class and because journalism is over, the press is calling for censorship. The New York Times, a former newspaper, had an article called How the Biden Administration Can Help Solve Our Reality Crisis by Kevin Roos, the tech uh, guy. And he quotes them saying, uh, several experts I spoke with recommended that the Biden administration put together a cross-agency task force to tackle disinformation and domestic extremism which would be led by something like a reality czar. So the government is going to declare what reality is. This, of course, is the big problem with, with socialism, by the way. It's, it's, the problem with socialism is it, it envisions a state which is a neutral actor, but a state is filled with people and people are corrupt. So the last person you want is the state deciding what the reality is for journalists. This is the New York Times saying the government should have the right to declare what reality is and so that journalists can be censored. Right. That's what they're saying. Brian Stelter, he loves this, too. He wants to just make sure people are taken off their platforms. Cut 13. Big tech platforms say they are removing lies about vaccines and stamping out Stop the Steal BS and QAnon cult content. Now, do these private companies have too much power? Sure. And many people would say, yes, of course they do. But reducing a liar's reach is not the same as censoring freedom of speech. Freedom of speech is different than freedom of reach. And algorithmic reach is part of the problem. So if they bury your head in the sand, you're allowed to keep shouting as long as nobody can hear you. I mean, the problem with Brian Stelter is like a crisis of stupidity. It's not actually a constitutional crisis. The guy just is not really uh, he's like he's just a total gaslighter at this point. But there is a problem when the White House is saying basically the same thing. This is Jen Psaki on this 18. Does President Biden support the continuing ban of, of, of President Trump on their sites? I think that's a decision made by Twitter. We've, we've certainly spoken to and he's spoken to um, the need for social media platforms to continue to take steps to reduce hate speech. Um, but we don't have more for you on it than that. See, th- and this is has been decided to be illegal when tech can be seen when a private company can be seen doing for the government what the government is not constitutionally allowed to do for itself, uh, that can be illegal. There's a case, uh, Bantam Books versus Sullivan. The Supreme Court found a First Amendment violation when a private bookseller stopped selling works that state officials deemed objectionable after they sent him a veiled threat of prosecution. So just what Jen Psaki said, just right there, makes this, this censorship illegal. They are actually violating our First Amendment rights. So many of you are probably sitting around thinking, how can I get a Delphi FG1456 fuel pump assembly for a 2005 to 2010 Honda Odyssey? 
None of you are thinking that, but some of you may need car parts. And if you want car parts, you want to go to rockauto.com. Why? First, you can say rockauto.com. Women love that. I'm telling you, it's amazing. It's like magic. Secondly, you can get the car part you need at a great price right at home online. Why get in your car, which isn't running, and pretend to drive to an imaginary store where an imaginary person is not going to be able to get you the part when all you have to do is go on rockauto.com. And not only do you get to say rockauto.com, you can call up the part you need at a, a great price. An amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. So go to rockauto.com right now. You can see all the parts available for your car or truck. And please write Clavin in there. How did you hear about us, Box? So they know we sent you. And please, when you do that, say it like that. Clavin for rockauto.com. And you can even spell it. K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no <laughs> A lot of people have been asking me, why, aren't, why isn't anybody fighting back? But some people are. Amy Klobuchar, who is a Democrat, but she is now on the... Uh, uh, the antitrust committee, she says that the antitrust laws should be rewritten to make it easier to break up big, cha- uh, big tech. This is uh, cut nine. Things are too big right now, Poppy. That's what a lot of my constituents believe. It's what I believe. And you have a situation where throughout history, new companies, small startups have changed the country, have made our country so strong. And right now, especially in the tech area, you have companies like Google that have 90 percent control over search engines, and you have to allow a regeneration of our economy. What I'm proposing is make sure these agencies are able to take on trillion-dollar companies like Facebook and Google. They can't do it with Band-Aids and duct tape. And then make changes to the law. We've always done that over time. We can't let sophisticated companies that, yes, are popular, that, yes, uh, employ a lot of people, they will continue to do that, but we must have laws that are as sophisticated as the companies we're dealing with. And that's what this is about. It's about so, a check and balance. And, and Ron DeSantis, the great, probably the best governor now in the country in Florida, he has proposed measures that will fine uh, companies that deplatform political candidates. And uh, he has he's going he wants to have a measure that enhances the user's rights to allow individuals and the Florida attorney general to sue companies over violations of individual protections. This is uh, Ron DeSantis, cut 19. Hunter Biden's story was true. Okay, we now know was true. And the typical corporate media outlets, they just chose to ignore it. Obviously, they wanted to beat Trump. They had a they had a, a view on the election. They didn't want to give it any air. So we rely on social media to go around that, not let corporate legacy media outlets control the discourse and let us speak. So you had the New York Post to run it and you couldn't get any traction. You couldn't get any reach on it because big tech put their thumb on the scale. You guys would print it every single day if you could. And big tech would allow it to proliferate every single day, 24-7. So the fight is on in this case. There is a fight going on against big tech. And I I think I'm pretty optimistic. But the thing you have to remember is all this stuff, the using the time of the of Congress to foment civil war among the Republicans, impeaching Trump when he's already out of office, making a big show out of the trauma you experienced in January 6th while ignoring the trauma that the rest of America suffered at the hands of your protesters, the protesters and rioters that you supported and you excused. All of this stuff and the censorship and trying to silence the voices against you. All of it is an indication of failure, not success. I know it looks like the Democrats are very powerful right now, but they are empty. They, they're 
they're shooting blanks, basically. They have no new ideas, and the ideas that they have are guaranteed to make things worse. They are guaranteed to make things worse. While children, while minority children are not being educated, talking about equity and Black Lives Matter and, and all that sort of stuff is not going to do a damn thing for anybody. This is an indication of failure. And every time you see a tyrant, in a way, it's an indication of failure. But that is what's happening right now. And we're seeing this is an elite class that has collapsed utterly. And that's this, these are the symptoms of that that you're seeing in front of you. So I have found, this is absolutely true, I have more into audiobooks than I have ever been. And one of the reasons is because I don't see as many people as I used to. I, it's like having company. It's like actually having someone to talk to. And that is why my Raycon earbuds have become ever so much more important. They give you great sound. They block out noise. I can go on a hike and the wind doesn't uh, wash away the audiobooks. And they look good. They don't make you look like an insect like some other earbuds do. Also, when you turn them on, they sing. They go, Raycon. So that'll stick in your head. They're absolutely terrific. They've got enough battery life for six hours of playtime. Uh, and the best part is they make sound accessible to everyone. Uh, Raycon's offering 15% off all their products for my listeners. And here's what you got to do to get it. Go to buyraycon.com slash Clavin. That's B-U-Y, raycon.com slash Clavin. You'll get 15% off your entire Raycon order. So feel free to grab a pair and a spare. That's 15% off at buyraycon.com slash Clavin, buyraycon.com slash Clavin. And you know, buy is B-U-Y, but before I say bye, how do you spell Clavin? That's the question. It's K- I don't even know what that meant. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. That's, that's the important part. So last week on the culture segment of the show, we were talking about naked women. Um, always, always a fun topic. Um, and I mentioned Paradise Lost and, and talked a little bit about uh, Paradise Lost by John Milton, this fantastic, uh, really the greatest epic poem in English. Uh, and it's, it occurred to me after I was talking about it in that context, in the sexual context, that it has a lot to say about politics, what's happening in politics now, especially on the left, the kind of radical ideas on the left. Now, I'll, I'll tell you what I mean. A lot of what's coming out of the left is grows out of a Marxist doctrine called false consciousness. You know, Marx had this idea that the workers would naturally rise up, and it was kind of almost uh, inevitable in history that as as thesis and antithesis resolved themselves, that eventually uh, the workers would rise up and find that they had been abused and they would take over the means of production and so forth. And a lot of this, of course, turned out to be untrue, that under capitalism, uh, the workers did well. You know, the workers did better than they'd ever done before. They started to have their own homes, their own cars, uh, their own lives, their own choices. You had a little backyard. You could have a barbecue. At the end of the day, it was kind of nice. And they had to explain, you know, Marx had to explain why the workers weren't going to rise up, weren't rising up the way he thought they were. And they had this idea of false consciousness. And the idea of false consciousness was that you may think you're happy owning your own home, and you may think you're happy working and, and supporting your family and having the dignity of a job. Uh, you may think that it's a nice thing, that you can pay for things and be independent and make your own decisions in life. No, 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 my friend. This is false consciousness that has been instilled in you by the powerful to just make you think you're happy about those things when really what you want is what Marx tells you. In other words, it was a way for Marx not to say, not to say, oh, wait, 
maybe everything I said is wrong. <laughs> it's no, it's you. It's your consciousness is false. Well, over time, as especially as the Soviet Union collapsed and it became clear that the hope of the future, the Marxist hope of the future, was actually a, a complete boondoggle and an oppressive slave state, they started to basically extrapolate on this idea of false consciousness. And it became the idea of postmodernism, the idea that all of the narratives are just that. They're just stories. They're just narratives. And they don't describe reality at all. And all the things that you think you are or think you want are actually implanted in you by the powerful. This is one of the leaders would be Michel uh, Foucault, who someone once hilariously said never did Foucault for anybody. Uh, but he basically said that basically everything is a power narrative. Everything you think is truth is simply false consciousness instilled in you by the powerful. So people are not really insane. It's just a way of eliminating uh, people who are, don't fit into the uh, the narrative that the power like it, powerful like. If you step outside of that narrative, then you become insane. It's not just because you think you're hearing uh, voices from Mars. It, it is actually because the powerful don't want to include you. Now, it's interesting. It, I've always found it interesting that Foucault was a gay sadomasochist who I think walked around with a, uh, a pin stuck through his nipple. Uh, so it, it makes a lot of sense that he saw everything in terms of power structures. But the whole idea here is so when you, if you think, oh, you know, I'm a woman, and maybe as a woman, I would like to build a home for a family and nurture children and, and teach children and raise children. No, no, no. That is just instilled on you by men who want their sandwich and they want you, know, you to bring them a beer uh, while you're up. You know, that's, that's not something that is really part of you to nurture, to build homes, to uh, bring up children. Uh, that's just a, a narrative that's been instilled in you. In fact, in fact, if you don't think you're a woman at all, poof. You're a man, and all that has to be done is to silence those evil voices who tell you you're not a man, and then that will become the truth because it was just a narrative to begin with. So the fact that you happen to be a woman is just you know, an illusion that can be gotten rid of simply by pushing the narrative. If their powerful narrative uh, works, then our narrative, by taking over the narrative, we can change the, the facts of the matter. Uh, same thing with black people. If, it, you know, if you think like, well... You know, maybe the fact that uh, I never married my uh, baby mama and her kids are now in prison, maybe those things are related. No, 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 it's all racism. That's just a power narrative. The idea of logic, the idea of history, uh, all those things that uh, people like Black Lives Matter and anti-racists, quote unquote, those are all just narratives pushed by the powerful. So anything, that, any narrative that can take over basically changes reality. All right. Paradise Lost. Why am I talking about this when I should be talking about Paradise Lost? John Milton was uh, not a very attractive character. He was, I, I don't think, he was a, kind of a prig uh, when he was a student at, uh, at Cambridge, uh, Christ College. They called him the Lady of Christ's because he wouldn't uh, go out whoring with everybody. He was, uh, he was a prig. Uh, he was a virgin into his 30s. Um, and he was a very, very, he was a priggish person religiously too, a sharp critic, even though he was a Protestant, he was a sharp critic of the Church of England because it continued some Catholic uh, practices. And he was one of those people who were called by their enemies Puritans, right? They were Puritanical. So he was one of those. He was a Puritan. When the, the uh, Civil War took place in, we're talking about the 17th century in England, the roundheads against the Cavaliers. The king, Charles I, had tried to rule without 
parliament and the parliament had traditional, there were unwritten powers, right? Uh, England has an unwritten constitution. The parliament had unwritten powers and the king tried to take them over. And that struggle became violent and Milton sided with parliament. He trained with a militia and he wrote a lot of tracts uh, against the church and all this stuff. And when the king surrendered and Oliver Cromwell started the Commonwealth, which essentially became a dictatorship, Milton went to work for Cromwell. When the king was then, Charles I was beheaded, Milton didn't sign the death warrant, but he approved of the killing of the king. And he made an argument, he published a tract uh, arguing that this was in keeping with gospel wisdom from the book of Genesis. I'm going to read you a little part of it because part of this inspired American thinking when our revolution took place. He says, no man who knows aught can be so stupid to deny that all men naturally were born free, being the image and resemblance of God himself, and were by privilege above all the creatures born to command and not to obey. And he went on to say it was only because of Adam's transgression that men then were forced to band together for self-defense, which meant they needed governments and kings. And these kings are supposed to be restrained by law. They're supposed to be bound by law and for the good of the people. And he said their power is given, quote, in trust from the people to the common good of them all in whom the power yet remains fundamentally. This sounds very American, right? And it cannot be taken from them. Their power cannot be taken from them without a violation of their natural birthright of freedom. So he finally concluded it stands to reason that people may, as oft as they shall judge it for the best, either choose the king or reject him, retain him or depose him, though no tyrant, merely by the liberty and right of freeborn men to be governed as seem to them best. Whenever you want to get rid of your king, you can get rid of your king because you were born in the image of God and you were born to be free. So now Cromwell dies, his son takes over, it doesn't work very well, and the king is restored. Charles II is restored. It's called the Restoration, right? Uh, And now Milton has to run for his life because the people who signed the king's death warrant, even though he didn't sign the king's death warrant, his life is being uh, called for. And the people who signed the king's death death warrant are being uh, hung, drawn, and quartered. You may have heard of this. It is enormously unpleasant. First, they hang you. Then they cut you down while you're still alive. Then they castrate you. Uh, Then they yank out your bowels while you're still alive and burn them with you watching. And then finally, they chop your head off. And just to add insult to injury, they post your head on a pike. Okay. Okay. So Milton, now Milton has gone blind by this time. He's gone blind in Cromwell's service. He's broke. He's running for his life and he's hiding out. And also on top of all of this, he's a failure. He's always wanted to be a great poet and he's a failure. But ultimately his friends get him a pardon and he comes back and he now begins, though he's blind, to write the greatest epic poem in the English language. And he memorizes the lines at night and then he dictates them to a secretary or to one of his daughters. And he's a tyrannical father with his daughters. He's not a very nice person, but he writes this beautiful poem uh, about the fall of man, about Adam and Eve. And he says it's uh, the reason he's writing it is he's going to justify the way of God to men. He's going to explain what God is up to. Now think about this for a minute, all right? Milton has been in a rebellion and he has called for the beheading of the king and he has taken down the king who is supposed to be uh, have the natural right to be king through God, right? But he's taken him down. He supported the re- rebels. And now he's writing about Satan who has rebelled against the king of heaven and has been destroyed. And he's going to explain what the difference is between what he did and what Satan did, okay? So it's almost, in a way, an explanation of the difference between politics, radical politics on earth, and radical politics in heaven. And C.S. Lewis writes a brilliant preface to uh, Paradise Lost. Uh, He says it's meant to depict the power structure against which no rebellion can succeed. In other words, 
kingly human power structures are born of original sin, but obviously God's kingdom is an absolute hierarchy. And the word hierarchy, as C.S. Lewis points out, originally meant the rule of the sacred, right? It meant the holy order of things. And Lewis says, Milton pictures the whole universe as a universe of degrees from root to stalk, from stalk to flower, from flower to breath, from fruit to human reason. And it's a harmonious dance. Each degree naturally rules the next degree below it. And part of that is the hierarchy of the sexes. uh, There's a famous line in Paradise Lost where he says of Adam and Eve, he for God only, she for God in him. Okay. And that's obviously a very um, controversial, um, a very controversial line. Now, Uh, C.S. Lewis has a hilarious line where he says in our more egalitarian age, you may find these, uh, hierarchy startling. And he says, those who cannot face such startling should not read old books. Okay. (laughs) So he says, if you don't like it, don't read. All right. So Satan rebels against God and he's thrown into hell. And this is the point I want to get to and the relationship. You won't obviously be surprised. This audience won't be surprised to learn there's a relationship between Satan and the Democrat party. We think it may be an open relationship. Obviously that's what the Congresswoman Green was saying, but, but there is a relationship between Satan and the Democrat party. Satan is thrown into hell. And here is a reading of his famous speech as he arrives in hell. Listen carefully to what Satan says about being in hell and having lost the fight against God. Farewell, happy fields where joy forever dwells. Hail, horrors, hail, infernal world, and thou profoundest hell, receive thy new possessor. One who brings a mind not to be changed by place or time. The mind is its own place, and in itself can make a heaven of hell a hell of heaven. What matter where, if I be still the same, and what I should be, all but less than he whom thunder hath made greater? Here at least we shall be free. The Almighty hath not built here for his envy, will not drive us hence. Here we may reign secure, and in my choice to reign is worth ambition, though in hell, better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. A lot of very famous lines in there, better to reign in hell than serve in heaven, of course, I think is the most famous line. But he, hear what he says. He says, my mind is a place unto itself and can make of heaven a hell and hell a heaven. It can transform reality itself. He is free. That is the whole thing about Satan. He wants to be utterly free, not just free in the, the political sense, not just free from kings and from uh false rulers and from government corruption. He wants to be free against reality itself. His mind is so powerful that he can transform hell into heaven. And it is better to be, to reign in hell because you are free when you reign, you're the ruler, than to serve in heaven. It is being a servant of God that he doesn't like. The problem is, as we find out as the poem progresses, that God's moral reality is moral reality. And when you leave it, you you don't take over reality, you simply are cast into darkness. And as Satan decides, what he's going to do is transform, take over the earth. He's going to make the earth 
his kingdom by tempting Adam and Eve. We all know the Bible story. But in order to do this, he becomes less and less. He starts out uh, as a cherub and he ends up, as we know, as a serpent, right? He goes down and down the line. He gets worse and worse. And wherever he goes, because he is surrounded, because he is outside of God's reality, which is reality, he is surrounded by these borders, God's wrath. And he finally says this. Now, remember, this is a guy who said, I can transform hell into heaven and heaven into hell. Now he says, he says, me miserable. He's crying out. I'm, I'm miserable. He says, which way shall I fly? Infinite wrath and infinite despair. Which way I fly is hell. Wherever I fly is hell. He says, myself am hell. So rather than being able to turn hell into heaven, he has turned himself into hell. He has been transformed into hell because his rebellion is not a rebellion against a human king. It is a rebellion against reality itself. So he's, uh, Milton is making a point that there is God's hierarchy, the hierarchy of the sacred, the order of the sacred that he has, uh, that Satan has violated. And there's the hierarchy of sin, which is our kings and governments who are just contingent on our pleasure. We don't have to uh, obey them, but we do have to obey the hierarchy, the hierarchy of God. Now, it's interesting that during the Romantic era, which was a revolutionary era, it was the era of the French Revolution when they thought they thought that all uh, of the old ways were going to be wiped away and paradise, political paradise, was going to be installed. At this point, the Romantics began to declare that, oh, wait a minute, Satan was the hero of this piece. Satan was like Prometheus who stole fire from heaven to give it to man and was punished by Zeus in the same way Satan was Lucifer, the light of reason, and he was going to give uh, men their freedom. He was going to give men their freedom and God punished him for that. And he brought, the, he brought us the knowledge of good and evil, which made us kings over ourselves, like unto a God, it says in the Bible. The poet Shelley, who was a radical, uh, wrote, nothing can exceed the energy and magnificence of the character of Satan as expressed in Paradise Lost. It's a mistake to suppose that he could ever have been intended for the popular personification of evil. Milton's devil as a moral being is as far superior to his God as one who perseveres in some purpose which he has conceived to be excellent in spite of adversity and torture is superior to one who in the cold security of undoubted triumph inflicts the most horrible revenge upon his enemy. God's the bad guy. Satan is the good guy. In other words, in other words, Shelley falls into the very trap that Milton is describing. Milton does not mean Satan to be a hero. It is simply that Shelley as a radical thinks that that is where heroism lies. The French Revolution has basically said we are going to destroy one poet put it this is actually a sum, summary of the philosopher Diderot wrote a poem and the poem is sometimes summarized man will not be free until we strangle the last king with the entrails of the last priest so all hierarchies are going to be wiped away including the hierarchies of God we're going to rename the days we're going to rename the calendar we're going to start a new calendar we're going to declare that our God is reason. And what happened in France? They turned France into hell. They thought they could turn hell into heaven and heaven into hell, but instead they turned France into hell. Okay. And this is what's happening to the Democrat party. This is what is happening to the Democrat party. It is why they are so stuck. They are stuck because they are fighting God's reality, not the reality of, of actual tyranny. If they were saying, you know, uh, there are still some traces of prejudice against black people, uh, maybe that is helping to, uh, you know, 
uh, to keep them down. But as long as they work hard and uh, they get jobs and they behave and, you know, they don't take drugs and they have children uh, in wedlock and they cut down on the crime, then we can help them. If they want to be helped, we can help them. We'll build the charter schools that they go to. But instead, they want to push this narrative that somehow they're going to magically transform the world where there's no uh, racism in it, which simply isn't going to happen. They're going to say that, oh, any poor man who wants to say he's a woman can become a woman. Instead, they're going to make women's lives a hell. This is the thing. You can fight against human tyranny. You can fight against human tyranny. But when you start to fight against the hierarchies of God, all you can do is transform yourself into hell. And that's what we're seeing. And luckily, I think it's not going to last because there's still enough Americans around who remember what it's like to live in a country that is well run. And so I just wanted to bring that back up because I think Paradise Lost, if you've never read it, beautiful, beautiful poem. Poetry is always a little hard to read. A beautiful, beautiful take on Adam and Eve and a wonderful explanation of what the difference is between fighting human corruption and tyranny and fighting with the hierarchies of God. Now, those of you who listen to all the shows on The Daily Wire, as you should, probably sometimes say to yourself, how did Michael Knowles get a job? It's because we weren't using ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter.com is the way you want to hire people for your business. The fastest, easiest way to hire is ZipRecruiter. And now, right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Clavin. ZipRecruiter does the work of hiring for you. When you post your job, ZipRecruiter sends it out to over 100 top job sites with one click. Then their powerful matching technology finds people with the right skills and experience for your job and actively invites them to apply so you get qualified candidates fast. It's no wonder that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See for yourself right now. You can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Clavin. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Clavin. If you're ready to build your team for 2021, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Clavin. Don't let Michael Knowles happen to you. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire if, but only if, you can spell Clavin, which is K-L-A-V-A-N. Hey, you know what's fading fast? Your chance to get 25% off a new Daily Wire membership with code RHF. That's RHF. It stands for Run, Hide, Fight, our first feature film. Run, Hide, Fight led our debut into the world of entertainment a few weeks ago. The movie tells the story of Zoe Hull, a high school senior coping with the recent loss of her mother. One day, her high school is attacked by four gun-toting students with plans for the worst school shooting in history. Zoe finds herself in a position to help, so she fights back to save her fellow classmates. Really entertaining thriller. Critics have been very vocal about how politically incorrect this movie is. Hollywood didn't like it, and they didn't want you to see it, so we picked it up. The tomato meter remains at a low 27% among critics, but the audience score tells a completely different story, currently sitting at 93% on Rotten Tomatoes with over 2,000 reviews. What do you think accounts for that disparity? Run, Hide, Fight is available exclusively to Daily Wire members, so if you want to watch it, use code RHF and you'll get 25% off your membership today. This promo is only available through the weekend. So this is your last chance. Use code RHF for Run, Hide, Fight to get 25% off your membership at Daily Wire. Join us in the cultural fight today.
I am uh, really thrilled with our guest today. Uh, Cheryl Atkinson is uh, one of the truly terrific investigative reporters in the country. Uh, she has now got a, TV, a, more, a Sunday morning TV program called Full Measure with Cheryl Atkinson. Uh, I have literally read all of her books, Stonewall, The Smear, and I'm just about to finish uh, Slanted, How the Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. Cheryl, are you there? Yes, I am. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, you know, you, I was just last night, I was reading an article about the death of journalism and post-journalism, and it was all keyed in to Donald Trump. But your experience at CBS that caused you to leave CBS happened during the Obama administration. So this has been something that's been happening a long time. Can you explain why you left CBS after quite a long and successful tenure there? I guess in retrospect, I was on the leading edge of this trend that I call the death of journalism as we knew it where propaganda groups, third parties, corporate and political interests have figured out how to control information first by figuring out how to get their nose under the tent in news organizations. And I didn't know exactly what was behind it always, but at CBS, I saw this great sea change where by the last couple of years I was there, it was almost impossible to get a fair, rational news story on that addressed really anything of importance. And since I was an investigative reporter, there was nothing left for me to do. And these weren't just political stories. Most of my reporting is non-political, but pretty much tackle any powerful interest or anything that a powerful interest cares about. And they had ways to stop these stories or water them down. So, um, you know, I expand upon that a lot in the subsequent books that talk about how these groups work, who they are, and how they figured out how to control the news and then moved on, as I describe in Slanted, to the internet because people were still able to get free, unfettered information on the internet. And these powerful interests do not want that to happen. You know, you talk about powerful interests and you tell a number of stories of how corporations uh, silenced stories that might've hurt their business. But it's, it's hard not to feel that there is a definitive leftist slant here. I mean, you had written many stories uh, exposing things in the George W. Bush administration, but when you started to write about uh, Fast and Furious and other problems in the Obama administration, you ran into problems. Is You talk about the narrative. You say only things that fit the narrative are allowed in. Is the narrative simply leftism, or is there more to it than that? Well, there's more to it, but I would say the left has gotten better at it. There are more organized and well-funded groups with purpose that have gotten together and organized to do this, whether it's the fake fact check groups, the lobbying social media to crack down in a way that benefits them on information, whereas, <clears throat> pardon me, the conservatives or the Republican side haven't done as good a job, not that they probably wouldn't equally like to be able to change the information landscape in a way that benefits them, but they haven't been as good at it. And if you consider that Traditionally, Republicans or conservatism talks more about sort of hands off. They're probably going to be less in your face in the traditional controlling fashion when it comes to trying to make people think a certain way more toward at least they used to be more toward the free thinking, make up your own mind. So if you have the other side that believes in a heavy hand, who's going to win that battle? So I think we're seeing that. And it's not all political. I mean, there are some very um, important left voices such as Glenn Greenwald, who founded The Intercept and had to quit his own company because they censored his story on Hunter Biden. There are traditional liberal thinkers who find this oppression of free information and speech to be as horrifying as anybody else, and they're being subjected to it as well. 
you know, it's not just suppression of information. It is also disinformation. Your second book, I think it is called The Smear. Uh, you, you talk about David Brock and Media Matters, who he comes after us all the time here at the Daily Wire. Uh, they have a, they actually have a, a guy who does nothing but listen to us, poor man. Uh, and you, t- but you tell a story about PizzaGate and pizza that pizza parlor and PizzaGate was run by a former lover of Brock's. <laughs> you kind of suggest, I mean, and tell me if I'm wrong about this, but it seemed to me that you suggested that PizzaGate. The idea that there was some kind of Hillary Clinton was running some kind of child molesting business uh, out of this pizza parlor in D.C. You suggest that it might have been engineered by the left, not by the right, even though it was the right that bought into it. Do you think that that's is that a fair assessment of what you say? Well, not exactly. This is a complicated way of thinking. I try to get people to think about. And while we're at it, let me say hello to my Media Matters monitor, because I don't know if it's the same <laughs> guy or gal, but they're listening to me, too. So they're doubling so maybe up. Maybe we've today. got two listeners. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, what I'm trying to get people to understand, and I didn't know that whole conspiracy to be about Hillary Clinton personally. Again, I didn't look too deeply into it, but some of it was said to be, you know, her top supporter, John Podesta, being involved in all kinds of things. But what I wanted people to understand is, there was a concerted effort that we have documented around this time frame by left-leaning groups to crack down on information that they didn't like, um, you know, information online by conservatives, including true disinformation, but also this slow creep toward information that may be perfectly true or a matter of an opinion that they also don't like to be seen, but there was a way to kind of get their nose under the tent. So all of this coincided in the same time. And it's entirely possible, as I say, that um, this was a made up hoax entirely, but for reporters to claim to know that Pizzagate is untrue, they're sort of just buying into this spin in a way of defending something that they have no firsthand knowledge of. Now, I don't believe personally, I have no evidence and don't believe children were being trafficked in the basement of a, you know, pizza restaurant. But remember the way this all works when you're talking about disinformation, there can be a grain of truth in a story that then by the people who are alleged to be guilty of something, they can turn it into a bigger, crazy story that that caused people to then dismiss everything, including the bit of truth about the story, if you're following me. And that's happened. I mean, I've I've talked to smear artists for my second book who talked about that strategy. So you just have to think, I'm encouraging people to go beyond the obvious layers when you're looking at stories and information to consider other possibilities that I think a lot of the media people overlook. Yeah, that, on this show we call that Clavenon, which is the actual conspiracy underneath the conspiracy uh, theory that in, that is actually hiding it. But you you do talk about this kind of concerted effort to curate the news, that wonderful kind of mild word, curate the news. That David Brock has bragged about this of installing left wing curators at Facebook. I think it, you do kind of suggest. I mean, I I know you can't prove this, but you suggest that this was a sort of unified effort during the Obama years, isn't that? Is that fair to say? Well, yes. I mean, I would say that's a bit more of a suggestion on my part, and I do have the evidence behind that. I followed the money and traced the origins of the phrase fake news in its modern context and found that it arrived on the stage. You know, people think that's been around forever. People mistakenly think Donald Trump brought it up. But it can be traced to about September of 2016 when a nonprofit called First Draft began talking for the first time about this notion that was foreign to us 
at least on any wide scale at that point, of curating our news and fake news. You know, people may not remember, we, nobody was asking for that, people to come in and curate our information. They had to create a market for it, and they did. So when this nonprofit started it, I looked into, you know, well, who started the nonprofit, and guess who funded it? Google, owned by Alphabet, whose CEO at the time was Eric Schmidt, big, big, big Hillary Clinton person. And they're the ones who came up with the notion. A short time later, as I trace in the book, President Obama gave a speech at Carnegie Mellon that talked for the first time that I heard about the need to curate our information in this wild, wild west media environment of the internet. Again, public had not been demanding for any such thing. Social media had not been inserting itself. And from that day forward, almost every day, this began to make headlines, fake news. And initially, as first draft defined it, it was always conservative. There was no liberal-leaning fake news as far as they were concerned. And then that was followed by David Brock, as you mentioned, bragging to donors after the election that he and Media Matters was the entity that, that convinced Facebook to step in and start with these aggressive efforts for the first time to fact check, but of course, only certain organizations and topics and only using the certain people that, you know, will fact check a particular way. So that movement is very, I think, very carefully borne out. And that was in um, my last book, The Smear, if people are interested in reading a lot more about that. Yeah. And now in, in Slanted, you've gotten to the, the Trump administration. And there can be no doubt that what started uh, had been increasing for a long time just exploded during the Trump administration. Trump, I think, whether you like him or not, it has nothing to do with that. He was treated unfairly at a level I've never seen anybody uh, treated at. What did you see? You're, you're, you've now left CBS. You're, you're doing your show full measure with Cheryl Atkinson. You're looking at this. What are you seeing? I mean, what are you thinking to yourself as somebody who was actually an actual journalist when you saw the way Trump was treated? Well, you know, I've I've categorized and written a lot about the death of the news. This is just not how journalism is conducted. And when I saw major news organizations exempting themselves from journalism practices and suspending, very publicly suspending their normal ethics and standards because they said they needed to do that to fight a uniquely dangerous president, I argued that's when your ethics and standards matter the most, when you feel personally that you don't like somebody you're covering. That's why the standards exist, not so that you're fair in covering someone you like. It's so that you're fair in covering everybody. And I've, I found it, as many other journalists who spoke to me, you know, quite surprisingly, national journalists and executives at all the networks spoke to me for my book, Slanted. Many of them are equally as horrified. They just don't speak out about it, and they can't if they're still actively working at these news organizations. But this is just a horrible trend where the loud bullies and the propagandists are able to shout down those who still want to do good, fair journalism. And you see the repercussions for those who are off the narrative. They're fired or canceled or drowned out in, in one form or another. But I think the drive against Donald Trump was in large part spurred on by the fact that he got elected in 2016, even though almost all news entities and major media had told the public that he could not be elected and he was unfit. And that caused the people that did not want, both Republicans and Democrats, by the way, who did not want this outsider outside of their money links in, in the presidency, that made them say, wow, we're controlling the news to a large degree, but people are still getting information we don't want them to have somewhere and forming their own conclusions. And that was online. And that's what I think has driven this you know, attack on President Trump and the change in the media landscape, this, such a drastic change over the past four years. It, you know, you you mentioned the 
economics of this. And it makes me wonder how much of this is ideological and how much of it is is money. Uh, maybe those two things are inseparable. But for instance, and in an old newspaper, you didn't want to chase anybody away, the left or the right. You wanted your newspaper to sell to everybody so you could sell them the ads in the newspaper. Now ads have all gone online. Newspapers are not really living uh, by ads. They really need, in order to make people show up, they really need to basically play to a certain audience and make people angry and afraid and get them to keep coming back. Is any of this about the economics of the business or is it really ideological and, uh, and a, a question of influence? Well, I think there's economics at play, but not so much on the macro level that you're describing, because this is what shocked me at CBS. I saw them making decisions that were contrary to their financial interests stopping uh, the airing of segments that were extremely popular with viewers that they were coming to the network for, by all accounts, they could measure that sort of thing. They would stop those stories. And that's what led me to think there's something far beyond just this news division and how we're making a little bit of money or not. And same with, you know, Google and Facebook and so on. They're driving people away by their decisions. But in the bigger picture, there are more important and more powerful people and interests that are causing them to do things that look to be, in some instances, against their own financial interests. I think that's the tell. You know, one of the things you talk about, uh, the reason I like your book so much, by the way, is not just that you're an insider, but you see these things with an incredible clarity. And one of the things you talk about in uh, Slanted is the language of propaganda. You give a, a bunch of examples of ways in which just the things that, just the words they use, are are slanted. Can you give a couple of, of examples of that? Because I think it's just really instructive to people to understand how, how simple this is. Well, I went, let's start with the last book when I said phrases that popped up in news and, you know, kind of widespread in social media, which had not been so commonly used before. Conspiracy, tinfoil hat, debunked, you know, phrases like that. And then I move on to slanted when you see everybody saying, um, starting to do the word without evidence, the phrase, which had not been used before, but became sort of a standard thing to disparage primarily President Trump or conservatives or his supporters. Um, you know, these are phrase, propaganda phrase picked up. The word lies was never or very rarely used by mainstream media, let alone the, the likes of the New York Times prior to this time. And then when they started using it against President Trump, they were actually cheered on by journalism professors, including one that wrote an op-ed that said this was a wonderful thing to have what he called the end of objective and objectivity and neutrality in journalism. I mean, it sounds crazy when you just look at this doublespeak and think, you know, people are saying this is a good thing, um, but you can, you can recognize this language. And I think people do when they, when they see uncommon terms suddenly being used by almost everybody being adopted into the lexicon of, of journalism, whether it's left or right, that's because someone has planted that and, you know, successfully made that part of the, the terms in which we describe things and how we talk. Yeah. Um, the, do you despair? I, I mean, do you think that there's a way to bring journalism back? I don't think it'll ever be what it used to be. Not that it was ever perfect, but it was certainly more open and more diverse than it is now and more fact-based in general. But I think there are good people working on alternatives that, that are going to rely on having different technical platforms so that people can report honestly and fairly, you know, different viewpoints and all kinds of facts without, and science, without fear of being pulled down and controversialized out of existence. So there's, there's a technical challenge that has to be met. 
And then there are a lot of people that want to do that kind of reporting and a lot of people that want to see that kind of reporting. So that will just fall into place once we figure the technical part out. Problem is now, you know, I feel like this information suppression is happening just with a whimper where there are, where are the First Amendment law firms and groups that are, should be stepping up now saying we need to protect all kinds of viewpoint speech, facts and science. Is even that which is objectionable, as long as it's not illegal. Instead, these very groups I find are in journalism groups sometimes are cheering it on because they like the people that are being oppressed. They like that those viewpoints aren't being heard and can't seem to figure out or apply that this country was founded on the notion that you have to protect the speech you don't like as well as the speech you like because you know it's a slippery slope as to who gets to decide that sort of thing. Once you start letting them enter into the equation, third parties conflicted people, powerful interests and tell you what you can think and say and do, you know, I don't, I don't know how you go back from that. And I think that's a really important concern right now. Yeah. You know, I was talking earlier on the show about Ron DeSantis is making some moves and Amy, Amy Klobuchar, uh, the Democrat is also uh, talking about antitrust moves. But I think that one big problem is that conservatives have been pro-business for so long that they can't quite get their heads around the fact that these businesses have gotten out of control and are gutting constitutional rights. Um, Cheryl Atkinson. Yeah, if, and I, I, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, I think, you know, I'm not saying government never has a solution, but I, I think that oftentimes a perfect solution doesn't come from government. And I really wish there was a way for people to step back and say again, we all want open information except that which is illegal and not have the solution be born in Republicans or Democrats or anybody else coming in and kind of telling us what the solution should be because it's it's very hard to have, you know, someone do that in a way that's free of conflicts. But letting it go isn't isn't working either. So I you know, I'm not saying that things the way they are now should be left to their own devices. I just am always concerned when government starts talking about stepping in with the answer. Yeah. Uh, Cheryl Atkinson, if you want to see some real journalism, guys, go to Full Measure with Cheryl Atkinson, her Sunday morning TV program. Her books, Slanted, The Smear, and Stonewalled. I've read them all, and they are great. Cheryl, thank you so much for coming on. I hope you'll come back again and talk some more. Okay. Thank you for having me. Thanks a lot. All right. It is time for the mailbag. Where is she? Where is she? Now I'm traumatized. Come on. Uh, um, all right. This is a letter from Daniel. It's long. I'll, I'm going to read as much of it as I can because I think it's an important letter and I know a lot. it's on a lot of your minds. Uh, I'm writing because I'm on the brink of losing faith in the Daily Wire. Please do not dismiss this as someone who's just upset that he's not hearing the opinion he wants to hear. I disagree with you, Ben and Knowles, on many issues, but I've usually found your positions pretty well reasoned. Understand that I'm also not a fervent Trump supporter who still believes that the election was stolen and the, the Kraken is still waiting to be released. However, in the aftermath of the Capitol riot, Ben has condemned Senators Cruz and Hawley as cynical but offered defenses of the likes of Liz Cheney and her support of impeaching a former president. You yourself have said Ben Sass, another supporter of impeaching a former president, is a strong possibility for a future Republican presidential nominee. Currently, the Daily Wire is asking for support and pushing back against the left's control of the culture. However, if you are supporting the weak-kneed, cowardly Republicans who are eager to abandon Trump in the hopes of getting some favorable press coverage, how can I believe that the Daily Wire is capable of fighting the cultural war. 
It is Trump that made gains with minorities, not Republicans. With him gone, if the Republicans do not channel his willingness to push back against the narratives of the Democrats and their media buddies and instead resume their comfortable position as the loud but powerless opposition, they will continue to lose and deservedly so. If that is who the Daily Wire is throwing in with and effectively becoming a mini Fox News, I'm struggling to see the value in continuing my support. Understand, this is not me threatening to end my subscription, but a plea to understand why I should keep it. Perfectly fair questions, really good. I just want to clarify that what I, I did say about Ben Sass, I said it a couple times, was that I liked the cut of his jib, but I hadn't really looked into his policies or where he stood. And so I was kind of, you know, talking basically about his image uh, rather than his policies. I was disappointed in his reaction to the impeachment as well. And I disagreed with Lynn Cheney. And I don't, I can't speak for Ben. I don't know why Ben is uh, defending or attacking anybody. Uh, but my my position on this is, <laughs> the whole thing about politics is it's politics, right? It's politics. It is played a certain way. There are no absolutes. I mean, there are absolute principles. There are absolute truths and there are absolute principles. But politics is a, a fight of compromises, of getting what you can. Who has called it the art of the possible, right? So what I'm looking at all the time is are we doing the most we can do to achieve the most we can achieve. That's what I'm always looking at. And I'm not uh, swept away by personalities. I really do believe the Bible when they say, put not your faith in princes. So I don't look at Trump and say, Trump, it, only Trump, you know, what, what was his line? Only I can fix it. I don't look at him and say, only he can fix it. What I look at him and say is, here's a flawed person because we're all flawed and he is a big person. So he has big flaws. Here's a flawed person who is the man of the moment and was doing terrific things. Now, I disagreed with Ben on how to cover Trump. Uh, ben said he was going to call balls and strikes. I said no, because there's only one team, as far as I'm concerned, playing for America. The Republicans are the vehicle of the conservatives, right? The Republicans are not the conservatives, but they are the political vehicle of the conservatives. And we need the Republicans who are not conservatives with us in order to win votes and elections. We need a lot of people from the middle to the right with us in order to win elections. We cannot just say Trump, 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 because if we just say Trump, 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 we're going to lose, lose, lose. And losing, you know, what was Mitch McConnell's line? He said, winners make laws, losers go home. And that's what I'm trying to prevent. And that's why I took on after Trump after the election, because I felt if he couldn't prove that the election was stolen and he was leading people down that path, I wasn't thinking about, you know, people attacking the Capitol. I was thinking about losing Georgia, which he did. Okay. And the reason, the reason I'm, I'm not, my loyalty is not to Trump. My loyalty is to you and to the principles in the constitution and to freedom. Those are my loyalties, right? So when Trump supported those things, did I care that he cheated on his wife? Well, I don't admire him for doing it, but that was not my problem. That's why I didn't agree with guys like David French, who was, you know, thought, oh, he's not a holy man. I didn't care if he was a holy man. I cared that he was winning uh, the battles that needed to be won, and that he was the kind of person we needed in that moment to do that. Now, I consider that part of the failure of the ruling class, that we needed a person like Trump to get that done. We shouldn't need a person like Trump to get that done. We should be able to turn to more stately and statesmen uh, to get that done. But I had to report the story as I saw it, which was the good things he was doing and the times when I thought he was not that his personality was immoral, that his personality was threatening what we were going to achieve. So 
I know that's painful to hear sometimes, but I am, no one can call me a weak uh, conservative. I am a dyed-in-the-wool conservative, and in the ways that I'm not conservative, like believing in more freedom for, you know, gay people and not feeling that they should be persecuted by government, uh, even if, even if uh, God has a problem with it, if God has a problem with it, I think they should listen to God. But politically, I believe this, they should be free to have the lives that they have and be happy in those lives. But other than that, you know, I am a constitutional conservative. I believe in the most freedom, most ordered freedom for the most number of people. So politics is complicated. And I feel in right wing and left wing media, it is so easy to stamp your fist into your palm and say, well, why are those? Why is that Mitch McConnell such a coward? Well, it turned out he's not a coward. He's an institutional man who knows how to play the game. And sometimes playing the game can drive you crazy because you want stuff done now. You want it done right. You want it done fully. You don't want to compromise with those evil Democrats. But Mitch McConnell is the kind of guy who says, well, you know, there's the daylight. I can get a little bit here and I can get a little bit there. And we need people like that in institutions like the Senate and the House. So there's a difference between talking into a microphone and actually herding cats, right? And what I try to do is I try to describe the principles that we're fighting for and why something is right, even sometimes when it's not everything that we like. So for instance, when talking about the fact that they didn't remove Liz Cheney from her leadership role, I think that it is good for the Republican Party to allow people to act on their conscience, even when it's, I disagree with them. Obviously, there's a limit. Obviously, if they're actually socialists or they've gone so far to the left that they're no longer Republicans, that's a limit to that. But all this talk about rhinos and uh, you know cowards and weak-kneed Republicans, you have to be careful about that because there are people who, in good good people, who will stand up for. 80% of what you believe, but 20% of the time disagree with you. And Ronald Reagan said, a man who disagrees with me 20% of the time is 80% my friend. That's smart politics. And that's the kind of politics, uh, you know, I, I believe in. I believe in the fact that we've got, look, that's, that's democracy. If, if, if we are conservatives, we are for freedom. If we're for freedom, people are going to have to be free to disagree with us. And if people can disagree with us, we are going to have to form coalitions. Those of us who believe in freedom are going to have to form coalitions with other people who will support us as far as they can. And that's that's what we're talking about here. Now, the reason I think you should stick with the Daily Wire is because we disagree with one another, because Knowles is more Trumpy and, and Ben believes in calling balls and strikes, and I believe in, in the Constitution. I think those are voices that you can hear that are going to reflect reality. Remember, remember, when Donald Trump was telling you that the election was going to be overturned and his supporters were telling you the election was going to be overturned, I was telling you he was going to lose Georgia. What I said was going to happen happened. What they said was going to happen didn't happen. So if you want to hear people who are telling you, look, this, these are the realities on the ground. I don't like them, but these are the realities on the ground. This is the place to be. On Fox News, you're going to hear a lot of pro-Trump stuff, and then you're going to hear a lot of stuff where they're sort of sucking up to the left now, which I don't know why, what they, that idea is about. But, but you do hear a lot of this. What you'll hear from me is what I think, how I think the situation plays in terms of the eternal values of freedom that we are trying to defend. And if that's not what you want to hear, if you want to hear somebody telling you the election is going to be overturned or that Trump is, you know, Biden is secretly Trump in disguise and there's going to be a great awakening and uh, the cabal of, you know, demon worshiping uh, pedophiles is going to be exposed. This is not the place. I am talking to you about politics. I'm not talking to you about illusions. And I think that this is a problem we have in right wing and left wing media, that in politics, nothing is ever black or white. It's always gray and no person is ever perfect. And you have to talk about what is going to defend the principles we love. And that's my answer to, to your question. Um, all right. 
Uh, from Bill, I write about your riff this week on nude and naked and the bliss of sex bestowed upon humankind within the bright lines of responsible, mature relationships like marriage. Uh, as an Orthodox Jew, I never doubted that. But what I question is the religions that have elevated ce- uh, celibacy to a virtue. Uh, their clergy and other functionaries talking mostly about the Catholic priesthood as exhibit A, he says. I've never understood that or fathomed the reason for it. Well, let me respond to this. Um, I myself never saw celibacy as uh, a more holy state than um, loving sexuality, and I still don't. However, I've come to understand, and I don't believe the Catholics should have celibate clergy. I think it hasn't worked out, and I think it's time to admit that, but it's none of my business because I'm not a Catholic. They can have any kind of clergy, clergy they want. However, over time, I have come to understand why someone would feel that his sexuality was getting between him and God uh, or her and God and, say, and seek to put it apart uh, in order to be free of that kind of intense physicality. Uh, this is what I was talking about uh, last week is that we are always, we have idol-making hearts and there's always the danger every minute for all of us all the time of turning things that we love and could do to the glory of God and turning them in idols for the glory of ourselves. And sex may be the most powerful one of those things. It is very easy to do sex in such a way that is simply for your own pleasure and not because it is a, a blissful gift of God. And I think people who cannot deal with that uh, are right to be celibate and right to put it aside in order to focus simply on their love of God. You know, if, if I think most of us don't feel that way, and I think people can be priests and have sex lives, but I do understand why what the Catholics are thinking about and how if it puts everything, uh, if it, you put that out of your life successfully, uh, that you are now free to uh, deal simply with the things of God and simply with the problems of other people and the li- uh, spiritual lives of other people. I just don't think it works out because it's so, uh, so difficult to do. Um, let's see. Um, from Eric, I am 25 years old and I found a love for travel when I was 22. Uh, my parents, however, raised me very sheltered and they don't like that I travel. I'm getting closer to traveling to some of the more dangerous countries in the world, Venezuela, Afghanistan, et cetera. Being raised so sheltered, I felt like I missed out on becoming a man and there is a part of me that resents my parents for this. How do I convince my parents to accept me wanting to break out and personally grow through travel and taking risks? Thanks and love the show. Why should you convince them of anything? You're 25 years old. You are a man. Uh, you want to be a man, be a man. Just do what you're going to do. Go and travel. Hopefully take care of yourself, stay safe, and hopefully you come back safe, but do what you want to do. Why, why should you waste a second of your time convincing your parents uh, that your life is your life? It is now, you are now of age, you are now a man, go and do what you want to do. I have to stop there. I'm out of time, but we will be back again next Friday. Most of you will not be here because the Clavenless Week will destroy you, will crush your will, will cast you into deep and impenetrable darkness where there's great wailing and gnashing of teeth. However, if you make it to Wednesday, we'll have an all-access show then, and I will be back then. And if you make it to Friday, ah, there's no chance to that. Never mind. However, I'll be here. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode and want to spread the word, give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe, too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, basically wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, remember to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Walsh Show, and The Michael Knoll Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Production manager, 
Pavel Vidalski. Edited by Danny D'Amico. Lead audio mixer, Mike Cormina. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production coordinator, McKenna Waters. And our production assistant is Jacob Falash. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. The White House promises masks and social distancing in perpetuity. The fact checkers admit that we are right while they call us liars at the very same time. And Democrats allege voter machine fraud in New York. I kid you not. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.